So let's pray. Oh, our Father, uh, we know that, that you, uh, through your Son, can sympathize with our sufferings, uh, those that result from the fall and sin and those that result from righteousness, all of them together, Lord. And our hearts are, our hearts are saddened regarding this little girl. And Lord, you can raise the dead, you can heal. We've seen you work miracles in children like this in the past, Father. So we ask you to have mercy on this little one and this family. Lord, and, and we pray for Frankie and Jonathan, and we thank you for the, the numerous other children that you've blessed them with. But Lord, everyone is precious, and so we ask for you to intervene in, in this matter. Father, we, we thank you for your gospel. Uh, we truly mean that. And uh, for the gospel of John and your instruction to the disciples here, just prior to your resurrection, your ascension. And uh, give us a glimpse of that uh, this evening. Lord, we pray for our country. Uh, we pray for our Congress, Lord, that you would give them a deep conviction to think right, righteously uh, on matters and that that would be a great mercy and grace, Lord, to us as a people. And uh, we pray for the new Speaker of the House uh, that you would give him what seems to be an incredible amount for an impossible task. Lord, uh, but we ask you to empower this man. Uh, we thank you that he has, we seem to believe, a sense of righteousness and wisdom from you. We pray you'd have that mercy upon others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we are close to the concluding the Gospels. We're looking at the appearances of Christ and the events of the Lord post-resurrection, that 40-day period between the resurrection and the ascension. And where we are tonight is we're up in Galilee at the Sea of Tiberias. And most of our time will be in all John chapter 21 this evening. And John is the only one that records these particular events that we're looking at tonight. And so John 21, verse 1, we'll just, I'll read the first three verses and we'll begin here. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is a different name for the Sea of Galilee, okay? And in this way, he showed himself. Uh, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, that's the first time we've heard of Nathaniel since the very beginning. We, we meet Nathaniel, and like I think it's John chapter 2, 1 or 2, when Jesus calls Nathaniel, and this is the first time Nathaniel reappears in the gospel record. Uh, so Nathaniel of Cana, remember the wedding in Cana when Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry uh, is where we were introduced to Nathaniel. Uh, so he, uh, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, the sons of Zebedee. Who are the sons of Zebedee? James, James and John are the sons of Zebedee. And two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. Uh, what does this phrase, this, this remind you of? That expression. Maybe it, for, when you read that expression, you think you're reading the Gospel of Mark. In Mark, it's always that way. And immediately he went out. And immediately he went in. It's, it's just that way all through the, all through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, so that's a... But we're reading the Gospel of John. I want to see if that's a textual variant. Uh, you know, 
know what? That might be a textual variant. Let's see. I sh I didn't I didn't check that. Cuz that doesn't sound like John. That's all that's all I'm saying. That uh, I'll have to check that out. You see the other translations don't say they immediately got into the boat. Notice that? None of them say that. Uh, and, and there's a footnote here, and I'm not going to change the software around, but I notice there's also a footnote right there on immediately. So that probably is a textual variant, uh, because that doesn't sound like John. Maybe it is. So I, Sorry, I, I, that's not in your notes. I just noticed that as I read, read, the, passage, uh, read the passage to us. Okay, so... John selected three of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances to report in his gospel. The first was during the evening of Easter Sunday in Jerusalem with Thomas not present. The second appearance was one week later in Jerusalem as the seven-day feast was over. This time Thomas was present and Jesus called him to no longer be unbelieving but believing. The third appearance that John selects is before us tonight is in Galilee, those first two in Jerusalem. Now John picks up this Galilean experience in the north where all of the, where all of the disciples are from. All of these disciples, are that's their home region, is Galilee. And he's with seven, uh, seven of them. And so this is John's third uh, post-resurrection appearance that he records for us. And we get a glimpse of what the seven disciples are doing prior to Jesus' appearance. I already read it. They're going fishing. So uh, <clears throat> they're going fishing. So as the account unfolds, we learn that among these seven that disciple among these seven is also that disciple who Jesus loved. We'll see that a little bit later. Um, among this seven is is that particular disciple. So he must be either one of the sons of Zebedee, that is John, or one of the two unnamed disciples. So we don't have all their names here. See and two others of his disciples. So, so the one whom Jesus loved is either John, one of the sons of Zebedee, which I think that is the case, but some don't. But if he's not one of, the, if he's not one of them, then he's one of these two. So, uh, so Peter says, I'm going fishing. And so where are they? Um, they are likely in Peter's house in Capernaum. We know from the Gospels, the other Gospel records, that Peter dwelt in Capernaum. And that's probably where they are. That would be, that would be my guess. And who, who else's family, right around the time of Jesus' public ministry, moved to Capernaum? Yeah, Jesus' family. Mary and Joseph. Well, Joseph's probably not living at that time, but Mary, Mary's family and some of the brothers, yeah, they, they moved to Capernaum. Uh, it's, it's, it, we get that out of, I forget which synoptic gospel, but likely at the, around the time of Jesus' ministry, uh, they were there also. So, so they're probably in Peter's house, is probably where they are at this time. So he says to them, I'm going fishing. They say to him, we are going with you also. Now commentators have described the disciples' actions here at both extremes. Some commentators have described their actions here as completely apostatizing from the faith. <laughs> that they've given up on everything and they're returning back to their previous way of life and they're going fishing and that's one that's one extreme and and the other extreme is is uh, 
they still need to eat. Even if they're disciples of Christ and following him, they still need to eat. And, and they're going, uh, going fishing. Well, um, I think I'm going fishing. I think it ought to be understood at this time that, that it, Peter's not planning going back to his former occupation and there's nothing more to following Jesus, and there's no mission. I, I don't think that's how they're thinking. Nor do I think Peter is the kind of man to sit around the house waiting for someone to tell him what to do. I think the situation is rather innocent, and they have not yet received detailed instructions regarding what's next. I think likely this happened before those Great Commission passages and instruction. I, that's what I think. I, I, th- I think they just haven't received that instruction of what's next. And it's, they're not clear on what's next. Uh, I can't prove that, but they seem to be behaving that way. Uh, but, and more significantly, neither have they received the Holy Spirit at this point. If we understand John 20:19 as we explained it two or three weeks ago. So they haven't received him who's been promised to them to equip them to launch this mission on which they will shortly be sent. Jesus knows all of this and he has a situation under control and he doesn't issue any OU of little faith to them at this point. When, you know, they're going fishing, he, he's going to meet them on the shore. He doesn't say anything about, you, you idiots, <laughs> why'd you go fishing? Yeah, I'm exaggerating, Jesus wouldn't speak that way. <laughs> you know, Jesus doesn't reprimand them or point out anything negative about the fact that they went fishing. But he meets them on the shore and reveals himself to them. So I, I think it's kind of a neutral, a neutral type of thing. So... The, the going fishing episode is neutral, and we mustn't forget, we mustn't also forget Peter's reaction when he realizes Jesus is on shore. He is super excited. He's not reluctant, right? We'll see that in a moment. He jumps out of the boat, and he swims, and he wants to be with Jesus. So whatever's going on here, he's, he's not reluctant. P- Peter is is not reluctant. So, we know from the other Gospels and Acts that they will not remain in Galilee, but they will return to Jerusalem. And on an unknown number of occasions, they're going to be instructed by Jesus concerning the kingdom and told to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And I think at this point, they've not received much of that instruction that Luke describes Uh, in Acts chapter 1, and that we've considered in the previous weeks. Okay, so John considered it important to include this third appearance, not only as proof of Jesus' resurrection, but likely even more so because this incident affirms Peter's prominence for the founding of Christ's church. This incident is a lot about Peter. It's Jesus' after the the miracle of the fish, the incident shifts to Jesus' interaction with Peter and Jesus' prophecy about Peter's life. And that's where John is going with this. And I think John is uh, establishing uh, Peter's prominence in in the early beginning of the church despite Peter's denials. Uh, so we'll see that as we go forward here. So uh, <clears throat> regarding the fishing expedition, they fished all night and caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Now this is a third instance of people seeing Jesus but not initially recognizing him. We have, we have three of those appearances. Uh, 
One of them is with Mary Magdalene at the tomb. Where's the second one? Oh, oh man, I remembered these some time ago. <laughs> Where's the second one where they don't initially recognize him? Oh, on the road to Emmaus. So on the road to Emmaus is another one of these. They don't recognize him. And this is the third. So um, here they're out. You know, they're like a they're like 100 yards offshore. So maybe it's early in the morning. Maybe it's just hard to see him. On the road to Emmaus, it seemed like they were actually prevented from recognizing him. You know, the text says that. But with Mary Magdalene, you know, anyways, there's just three of these in the gospel records that, that people don't initially recognize this is Jesus. I'm just pointing that out. So in this case, maybe it's because they're, they're 100 yards offshore. So then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? It's interesting that he calls them children. Uh, children, have you any food? He, of course, knows they don't have any food. They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Well, that's an understatement, right? <laughs> you will find some. Uh, we wonder why they listen to this stranger. They don't know who this guy is. They fished all night. He's standing on the shore. They're probably somewhat exhausted, correct? <laughs> What's that? Well, I don't know. Uh, they thought maybe they would have. You know, the word there is not even technon. There's two, there's two words for children. One of them is padilla, and one's technon. And this is actually the padilla word, which means little children. <laughs> so, so, I don't know. But they listen, they listen to the stranger to them on the shore, and they, and they cast their net down. And... Uh, so what happened, of course? They cast their net on the right side of the boat. You will find some. So they cast their net, and now they were not able to draw it into the boat because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved, okay, so he's one of the guys here. This, the disciple whom Jesus loved is one of these seven, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And so he recognized that this is the Lord before Peter did. It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. Now, he recognized that it is the Lord. So perhaps the disciple whom Jesus loved what triggered him to recognize Jesus is this miracle is very similar to a very early miracle, isn't it? It's almost a repeat of three years ago, the similar fishing experience in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 7. When he had stopped speaking, I'm there in Luke 5 now, when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. It's the same thing. This is a repeat of this early miracle. They fished all night and they had caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let, it, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Okay. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down on his knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Okay. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. Okay, so maybe the disciple whom Jesus loved, seeing this miracle, connected and said, This is the Lord. That perhaps how he realized that it was the Lord. It was a repeat of this miracle of three years earlier. So let's go back to John here. Okay, so so Peter uh, plunges into the water. His enthusiasm is abounding and he swims to the shore to greet Jesus. Peter wants to be with Jesus. The other disciples follow him in the little boat and Jesus has already prepared a meal for them. The other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits. A cubit is about a foot and a half, so that would be about 300 feet, so that's like 100 yards. Is that a football field? Okay, well, I know something about sports. A football field, 100 yards. Okay, so that's about how far they were. Dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. So maybe Jesus went fishing. <laughs> we don't know, but Jesus already has fish and bread, doesn't Imagine he? Imagine he walked up to the water and the fish jumped into his hand. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> it, it's, just, it, it's just interesting. John doesn't explain, but... But the Lord already has fish, and he's got the coals going, and he has bread, and he's preparing breakfast for these men. Uh, but Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish which you have just caught. So this, uh, verse 11, Simon Peter went up. Okay, so Simon is already greeting Jesus. The other disciples left the net partially in the water with all the other fish. And Jesus says, you know, get some of those fish over here too. And so Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land. That's why I said it was in the water. Now, it doesn't say anybody else helped him. I don't know if we can infer from this how strong Peter was, but there were a 153 large fish in this net. And I'm not a fisherman, but I think a large fish is at least one pound, right? So even if they're only one pound, there's a, it's 153 pounds. And have you ever tried to drag a, a, a net or a sack with 153 pounds in it? it, it, it and I pull it out of the water. It's not an easy thing to do. So, I, I don't know. So, perhaps uh, Peter was that strong. I mean, obviously, these men were all quite physically fit for the type of work they did in, in this culture. Uh, so, anyways, Peter, it, John tells us, Peter dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there was so many, the net was not broken. Now, John probably is indicating that was a miracle. You know, that it's just... Whereas the other account, the net was... They were breaking, correct, in the, the Luke account. So this is the, about a difference in between the accounts. So there were so many, they, they were not broken. So now, <clears throat> let, me, let me get in the right place in the notes here. Okay. So... Someone counted the fish. <laughs> 153. Now, the attempts, <laughs> the attempts to find symbolism in this number go as far back at least to Jerome. And they pass through Augustine and they travel the world over. Nevertheless, someone did count them. But let's stop there for a moment. Let me, let me give you one example. Okay. Jerome, in his commentary on Ezekiel chapter 47, 
That's the prophetic vision of the stream of water flowing out from under the temple that revitalizes the Dead Sea. Ezekiel 47. Jerome ties this miracle with the prophetic vision of the stream of water that flows from the temple to the Dead Sea, which begins to teem with life. Jerome cites the naturalist Oppian, who he claims teaches that there are 153 different species of fish. Thus, this catch of fish effected by the risen Lord's command, becomes an acted parable of the fruitful mission of the church that draws all human beings without distinction. So there you go. There's a... that, that I don't believe that, <laughs> but that's an example. And there's a whole list of these different types of... and trying to find symbolism where there probably really isn't symbolism. Now, of course, the Bible uses a lot of symbolism, doesn't it? And so when we interpret Scripture, we need to look for those clues. Am I dealing with a symbol or a metaphor or a figure or topology, or am I just dealing with a historical account? And usually the passages will give us a clue as to what we're dealing with. And so we just don't read symbolism into the scripture. But on the other hand, when there is symbolism, we can't just crassly literalize it. Okay? And so, but the early church, those early centuries, especially the third and fourth centuries, this type of allegorical or symbolic interpretation of just about everything was was very popular so but uh, we don't I don't think there is symbolism in the number of uh, 153 so why okay so then what nevertheless why did they count them well maybe to underscore the amazing nature of what just happened just to emphasize how many fish you know there really were there uh, that there were 153 or maybe they were counted to divide them up between the seven men who went fishing. Obviously, if you're fishing together and you catch a big catch of fish, you have to divide them up between you know, the, the people that were fishing. So uh, that's all that I can say. John does seem to indicate, yeah, there was miraculousness about the net, the net not being broken. So Jesus invited them to eat. And why does John report this interesting statement? It kind of helps you enter into this situation. Jesus invited them to eat, and John reports, quote, Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. So let's, let's camp out on that just for, for a little bit. It kind of captures the emotion or the thinking or the feeling of the moment. None of them dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. So, perhaps, you know, did they want to ask him? Did they want to ask him, who are you? but it says they're knowing that it's the Lord, maybe asking for more verification. But John says, you know, they dared not ask him, what, knowing that it was the Lord. So it doesn't look like they're asking for more verification. We're not sure that it's you. They didn't dare to ask him because they know he is the Lord. Perhaps it's somewhere down the lines of they know this is Jesus, the one whom they've spent been with for three years, yet the events of the last few weeks have been so extraordinary, they are unsure as to how to relate to him. It's Jesus for sure, but the relationship is not like it was in the past. We think you are the Jesus we've known, but are you the Jesus we've known? It, 
it, that, it's that kind of awkwardness in this, in this interaction here. And I tend to think it was pretty quiet. I, I, I just kind of think <laughs> it was pretty quiet. I can't prove that. But, um, so Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. So Jesus must have given thanks, as is his custom, but John abbreviates the account. If Jesus is, is Jesus reenacting the feeding of the 5,000? He's got the fish, he's got the bread, and he, get, and he serves it to them. He's just performed a miracle of uh, all these 153 fish. Perhaps he's somewhat reenacting the miracle of feeding the 5,000. It would seem to bring that day to mind, just as today's catch of fish brought to mind the previous catch three years ago. This would lend to the normalcy of what's happening now. What Jesus is doing today is similar to what he's done in the past. This is the Jesus we've come to know. Did Jesus eat with them? <laughs> uh, we don't know. Isn't that an interesting question? I tend to think that he did. Um, we know, right, a few weeks earlier, he ate in their presence. Oh, do you have anything to eat? They gave him some broiled fish, you know, a spirit. Uh, a spirit does not have flesh and bones, and they gave him broiled fish, so perhaps Jesus, uh, Jesus ate with them to reassure them of the normalcy of all this. So, John concludes narrating the historical part of this appearance, saying, this is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so I think all of that is leading up to what's going to happen now. And what's going to happen now is going to focus on Jesus and Peter. And so in verses 15 through 23, verse 15, so when they had, when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. So let, let's begin here. Now, you see in my notes there, it says Peter's reinstatement. Now, I'm not sure that reinstatement is the appropriate term for what takes place here. Perhaps affirmation is a better, is a better term. I don't think Peter was ever de-instated, so he doesn't need to be reinstated. So I like the term affirmed or affirmation. The Lord had already, remember, appeared privately to Peter prior to this occasion. On the day, on resurrection day, later that afternoon, Peter and Jesus had a private encounter. That has taken place. So, um, Peter obviously shows no reluctance to be face-to-face -face with Jesus. He jumps out of the boat and he goes straight to the shore. And so, so I think there's a sense in which Peter's already been reaffirmed by Jesus uh, because we see no reluctance here. So, when they had had breakfast, okay, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than thee? To what does the more than these refer? Simon, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? Do you love me more than you love the fishing business and its equipment? Do you love me more than these other disciples love me? Just about everybody agrees it's the third, it's the latter. The question is, Simon, do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Okay. Do you love me more than these? That's the question. Now, 
Why did Jesus ask Peter, do you love me more than these? Likely because of Peter's boast a few weeks earlier in response to Jesus saying, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. To which Peter said, even though they all fall away, I will not. And I'm quoting the ESV translation there, which includes the they, and there's pretty strong textual evidence that the they really is in that text. Even though they all fall away, I will not. Okay. So, in Peter's boast, which can only refer to the other disciples. So, if this is correct, then Jesus' these, Peter, do you love me more than these, refers to Peter's they of a few weeks earlier, even though they all fall away. Thus, Peter didn't prove he loved Jesus more than these other disciples. There's no proof that Peter loved Jesus more than the other other disciples. And it seems like Jesus wanted to bring this up. Do you love me more than these others? And, you know, that's a lesson. You know, that was a boast. And what happens when we boast? <laughs> we, we stumble, don't we? And, and it seems that Jesus wanted to leave that lesson and that could be a lesson for all of us, I think, especially when we're comparing ourselves to others. And that's what Peter did that night. Even though they all fall away, I will not. And so we have to be very careful when we compare ourselves to others. So, all right. Peter said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, Peter wisely does not respond to the more than these part of the question. You notice that? He doesn't, he doesn't answer that question. He, he, he doesn't say, well, no, I don't, or yes, I do. He just kind of leaves that subject. So I think that was wise on Peter's part. Even wiser he does not try to prove that he loves Jesus. Now that's interesting. He just says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. To which Jesus responds, Feed my lambs. Now, that is reassurance enough that Jesus trusts Peter and is entrusting the care of his lambs to Peter. Jesus' response here is positive. It's to give him this awesome responsibility. Feed my lambs. He's not, he's not fired. Peter's not being fired. Peter is being, feed my lambs. Okay, that, I mean, that, that's like, you can't get any higher level, higher level trust than that. So he tells him, feed my lamb. So this is reassurance and, uh, that Peter, and, and is entrusting the care of the lambs to Peter. Peter must have been relieved at this point. You know, I, I imagine he was relieved at this point. Do you love me more than these? Or maybe I'm going to get fired, <laughs> okay? No, no. He says, you know that I love you? Feed my lambs. So he gets put in a service. But he doesn't expect what follows. He must have been relieved, but he doesn't expect to be asked the question two more times. Jesus said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? This time Jesus drops the more than these. Okay, that's been taken care of. <laughs> that's, out of that's out of the interaction the heart of the matter is Peter's relationship to Jesus, not his other disciples. The heart of the matter is his relationship to Jesus. Peter responds exactly the same. 
He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Okay. In effect, Jesus' response is, he says, Since you love me, express it by tending my sheep. Okay? See? He's saying, yes, I love you. Tend my sheep. The way you express your love to me is feeding and tending my sheep. Now that, that's significant. And we know from Matthew 25 that that's exactly how Jesus describes that final judgment. If you've done it to these, the least of my brethren, what? You've done it to me. Okay, so the way we love Jesus, one of the major ways we love Jesus is by loving his sheep. And, and that is just filled with significance and filled with information about what the church ought to be and all kinds of things. But it's, it's significant what he says is, okay, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, and Jesus said, tend my sheep. Well, he's still not done. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved. He said to him the third, that he said to him the third time, do you love me? Now, why three times? Though not explicitly stated, most agree that these, that these three times are related to the fact of Peter's three denials. And I, I think that's correct. Uh, <clears throat> so in that sense, this would have been somewhat, this would have been painful for Peter <laughs> and humbling and, and, and you know, shameful, shame. You know, there, there's a feeling of shame, uh, <clears throat> and yet, um, so it's three times, probably relating to that. Um, Peter's grieved that Jesus said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to him, he never goes off of this, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. So, To which Jesus responds again in a reassuring manner, feed my sheep. So he responds reassuringly every time. And um, it's not in the notes here, but, you know, sometimes personally, I don't, I'm not one to boast about how much I love the Lord. So I, experientially, I struggle with this passage, you know, to, because at times, you know, I, I don't know how to express it. But isn't... <laughs> you can help me out. <laughs> I think Jesus, just Peter, Jesus has heard Peter throughout the ministry boast and run his mouth. Yes, yes. And <clears throat> Peter has gone through this humbling. Yes. And I think he, Jesus is testing how much he's grown even in these weeks. Uh. And he's giving Peter all the rope he wants to hang himself and oh. to exhibit pride. Mm. And Jesus knows that Peter's been humbled. And Jesus is going to now show all of us that follow after and all the rest of the disciples how much Peter's been humbled. So he's going to ask him, do you love me more than everyone else? Yeah. And I think Peter saying, I love you, is him saying, you know I love you, but... I probably don't love you more, as you even said earlier. Oh. In other words, he's, he is tempering himself, saying, I don't love you as much as I should, yeah. but you know that I love you. Yeah. I think there's okay. a sense in the Bible where there's a lot of um, unstated <laughs> uh, assumptions or part of the conversation yeah. where they just give you the phrase, and the rest of it is, I love you, and I should love you more than I do or have Yeah, been. yeah. Okay, so... I know, because at times we doubt whether we love the Lord or not. I don't know, some people maybe never doubt that way, but sometimes we, you know, like, like that hymn, uh, should we uh, come Holy Spirit or 
uh, not, not the modern one we sing, uh, the one from Isaac Watts, your love so great to us and our love so cold yeah. to you. Yeah. But, but uh, it would not be wise trying to prove to Jesus well, Jesus, don't you know, I love you. I did this and I did that. No, that, no. That wouldn't be. <laughs> Anyways, we're just kind of trying to enter experientially here in, into this. We're disciples too, of course. We're not apostles, but, but we're disciples. Uh, and he calls us to love him. Um, so, okay, a few other things to, to wrap up with this. We need to do these tonight because they relate to this text. So, uh, Jesus questioned Peter three times. He also assured him every time he was still on, on the job. Uh, the owner of the sheep expresses his trust in Peter three times, entrusting the care of his sheep to him. Feed my sheep. Okay, Peter's not going to be going on too many more fishing expeditions. Uh, now, during this interchange between Jesus and Peter, <clears throat> when Jesus asked Peter the first two times, do you love me? Jesus used the Greek verb agapo, agapeo. But Peter responded with phileo. So it's Peter, do you agapeo me? Yes, Lord, you know I phileo you. Okay. And I think all of you here tonight understand those two different Greek words for love somewhat. During the third round, Jesus asked Peter, do you phileo me on that third time? Not do you agapeo me, but do you phileo me on the third time? Jesus switched to phileo. Peter, a third time, replied with phileo. Now, it was popular decades ago to say that there is a significant difference in meaning between agapeo and phileo, that agapeo refers to Christian self-sacrificing love, which of course it does, but phileo refers to a friendship, something less than agapeo, or at least not stressing the sacrificial aspect of love. This supposed difference affected how this passage has been interpreted. Some have said that Peter was unwilling to say to Jesus that he agapeoed Jesus. And that on the third round, Jesus lowered the question to Peter's phileo. Well, this approach to these terms, especially in the writings of John, is not tenable. Okay? A careful study of all of John's uses of, uh, I'm sorry, let me get this right. A careful study of all of John's uses will show that he uses these terms interchangeably and the variation follows John's stylistic tendency of using synonyms. He does this with many terms and that's likely what's going on here. Even the three phrases used regarding the sheep are an example of John's writing this way. Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, <laughs> feed my sheep. He's, even in those three expressions, he's doing that variation. So we shouldn't read too much into the fact of the change in that passage from agapeo to phileo. So... There. Um, any questions or comments, you guys? I thought we'd. Uh, the next part is really good. We won't do it tonight. The prophecy concerning Peter and John. Uh, but so, okay. Uh, you got the microphone. Go ahead and lead us in prayer, Brian. Lord, it's incredibly humbling to be asked how much we love you and lord mm. we should challenge ourselves lord to be introspective and to consider our lives and our walk paul says that we should walk worthy in a manner uh, of our calling and worthy lord of our calling 
and you ask, do you love, do we love you? Lord, increase our love. Mm -hmm. As one of the disciples said, I think, Lord, when uh, you asked about their faith, they said, Lord, increase our faith. Mm -hmm. Um, Lord, give us more faith. You are such a condescending savior, a condescending king. Lord, you know our feebleness and you have said that just a little bit of faith, the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. So, Lord, give us that faith. Strengthen us. Lord, let us become closer to you and let us become more like you. Let us not stay like the world or um, let us not desire the world. Lord, let us um, desire to um, move out of the world Mm -hmm. in a sense, Lord, of being more like our Savior, more like our God who is kind and condescending and and runs after sinners that mm-hmm. have um, turned away from him and have hated him. And give us a love for the lost as you love them, Lord. Um, and let us love one another, Lord, as as um, as you love your church. Let us sacrifice more, Lord. And Lord, deal with our sin, Lord. We we have the flesh, we have the world, um, we have Satan trying to buffet us. And, Lord, let us hate the sin within us. Let us turn from it. Let us repent of it, Mm. Lord, and uh, be true in our heart of that. Lord, let that be a daily practice of our life. Let it not be stored up, Lord, until the pressure and the stress, Lord, of, Mm. of assurance starts to get to us. But let us repent daily that we might be found to be children of God and, and, um, and willing, Lord, to give up everything in this life for you. We pray, Lord, for those that are suffering tonight. Mm. We pray for, Lord, those that have been wronged or those that um, don't feel your love. We ask mm. that you would show yourself to them, reveal yourself, and let them find you in your word, Lord, and in the word that you have through their brothers and sisters in this body. And we pray, Lord, for the Christians abroad that are mm. suffering, that are dealing with a lot of different political and and um, uh, safety issues, Lord. We ask that you would be with them and bring us back again together, Lord, that we might worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen.